turn this on here. It's live. Okay. Here we go. Well, I'm going to look at the earliest of the writing prophets. Now, you all know, hi, Leah. You all know that there were prophets back before they wrote. Um, many of them. For example, Elijah. Uh, Elijah was back in the early part of these kings in Israel, and uh, he had to deal with this jerk right here, the worst of all the kings, Ahab, the Arab, the Sheik of the Golden Sands. No, wait, that was uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel means the virgin of Baal. Uh, she uh, had 450 Baal prophets at her beck and call, and she fed them at her table and worshipped Baal. Now, Baal worship was sex worship. Most of the ancient world worshipped sex, kind of like in Corinth. You go look at the history of Corinth, and it's all about immorality. In fact, the ancient world, the word to Corinthianize meant to act immorally. To Cretanize meant to lie, you know. Every place is known for certain things. Well, Ahab was known for being immoral, and his wife was also known for being immoral. And all they did was worship the other gods, the gods of the pagans who lived in the land of Canaan before they did. The Canaanites. The Canaanites had twelve tribes, had ten tribes, I'm sorry, ten tribes. The Israelites had twelve. The Canaanites had ten. Uh, the Ishmaelites, I don't know if you know that, but the sons of Ishmael had twelve tribes also. Twelve sheiks, twelve Arab kings. Uh, the Arabs today, almost all that part of the world, were described by God even before... You know, God shuts a door and no one can open it, but... Anyway, um, even before Ahab, the, the kings were worshiping idols. The first king of the northern kingdom purposely set up two golden calves for the people to worship to keep them from going back to the God of Israel, going back down to Jerusalem. So these are all kings up to, uh, up to the north. Evil kings. These are all kings down south. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, and you can kind of see by the length of the reign whether they were good or bad, usually. Although Manasseh reigned 52 years, and he was evil for 50 years, and then repented and became good, and God forgave him of all those 50 years of... He even, according to tradition, Jewish tradition, sawed the prophet Isaiah in half in a hollow log. Buenos tardies. <laughs> Good to see you, Sam. So, uh, Jeroboam prophesied by Ahijah the prophet by out in the desert. 
he took off his cloak and ripped it in 13 or 12 pieces and gave 10 pieces to Jeroboam, a brand new cloak. And he said, you will be, God has given you the kingship of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. And so he, gifted by God, went and set up these golden calves so the people would worship them and not go back to Jerusalem. Well, back in these days of these early kings, 931, maybe not quite that early, but Joel the prophet. I'm going to be looking at what the Jews call the Book of the Twelve. Uh, there are twelve prophets in the what we call the minor prophets. Minor is a Latin word that means smaller because their texts, their manuscripts were smaller. And that's why they're called the minor prophets. But the Jews just called them the book of the twelve. And there are twelve prophets all together. The earliest one is almost certainly Joel. Joel could be clear back in the time of Jeroboam, but I think he's more along the line of these kings right here, very early. Sometime in the 9th century B.C., between 800 and 750 B.C. And so Joel is the first of the Book of the Twelve, in, not in the order of the Bible, but in the order of history. You can find the book of Joel. It's about maybe two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, look it up with me because we're going to be looking at it. God's message comes to people in the Old Testament in different ways. When we look at the book of Amos, we're going to see God say to Amos, What do you see? And Amos answers by telling him what he sees, and then God uses that as a pun to teach Amos his word. If you look at the book of Micah in the Hebrew text, the whole chapter, the whole first chapter of Micah is, and we'll talk about Micah when we get there, every, everything in the first chapter is a whole series of puns. You know, the prophets were punsters. They... They used words and word trickeries. God, uh, Jesus does this. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And he, in Aramaic or Hebrew, that would be the same word, Peter and rock. But uh, not in Greek. And when Matthew talks about this, he uses two different words for rock. Uh, Peter actually means rocky means little rock, small rock, not Arkansas, but, you know, small rock, pebble, a pebble, a little rock. And then uh, the other word that was used, uh, Petra, means a great cliff of rock or a big boulder of rock. And that's the word he says that on that I will build my church. And so he puns there. He actually uses the word Peter or kephos in Aramaic twice. It's translated in our Bibles with a C, a C from your perspective. Uh, and we pronounce Peter's name Cephas, but it's Kephas. Uh, it's the Aramaic word that starts with the letter Kaf, which is a harder sound. So anyway, 
there were a lot of puns back in there. God sometimes uses puns to reveal His Word. When people stop listening, God uses all kinds of stuff. Uh, he told um, Ezekiel, now, people normally had hair down to their collar, the men. Now, the women had hair down the middle of their back or even longer. Unless you were a man who was a Nazarite, then you had hair as long as it grew. You never got a haircut unless God told you to. Or unless you were like Sam- Samson, you know, and met a girl named Delilah, and Delilah cut his hair when he was sleeping because she found out that was a so-called secret of his strength. It was actually God who was. But Over and over, double entendre, double meanings. When Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born, and he uses the Greek word, anothen. Anothen has two meanings. Intentionally. Nicodemus hears, you must be born again. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you look at that word, it's used 18 times through the New Testament. And everywhere outside that packet passage, it doesn't mean again. It means from above. In fact, later on in that same chapter, John 3, Jesus says, He who is from above knows all things. Talking about Himself. Well, He knew everything except one thing. According to Matthew twenty four thirty six, he didn't know. He doesn't know when he's coming back. He said only the Father knows that. All these guys that predict the end of the world must know more than Jesus. You know, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Judge Rutherford, uh, the Jehovah's Watch, Jehovah's Witness people who put out Watchtower, uh, Judge Rutherford predicted at the end of the world that Jesus would set up his kingdom in 1918. And when 1918 came and went, and he said, oh, I didn't mean on planet Earth. I mean, he's going to set up his kingdom in heaven, you know. Just, you know, if the prophecy doesn't work, just change your teaching. But anyway, that's not the word. The word never changes. So we are back. I'm sorry. Do I have any idea when she... What's that? 88. Some 88. Maybe next 88. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if Jesus doesn't know, we don't know. Okay, let's just leave it at that. Jesus will come back whenever His Father tells Him to. And there will be no signs, no warning. If there's going to be a sign and warning, uh, he would have given it to us. But there are all kinds of signs for the destruction of Jerusalem, maybe 10 or 12. But when you get to the end of the world, he said it would be like the days of Noah. You know, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and nobody believed him. He warned the people. Nobody believed him, except his family. So only eight people were saved. Let me show you something. This is a Chinese word. It's a Chinese word for a great ship. Noah's Ark was a box, okay? The word ark, hi Kathy, 
Buenos Tardes. The word ark doesn't mean a ship. The word ark means a box, like the Ark of the Covenant was a box. So the Ark of Noah was a box. So the ancient Chinese word, which is still used today for a great ship, is a box with the number eight written above it in Chinese. Isn't that amazing? You know what the word for sin is in Chinese? A tree with two mouths beside it. The word for sin. Isn't that interesting? I've read only two books on the Chinese language. If you're going to speak Chinese and write Chinese, you have to know at least 5,000 different ones of these different pictures. I know two. <laughs> yes, yes, I am ignorant. Yes, I am aware. The, you know, yeah, that's true. Well, the Chinese, you know, their language goes back before the Tower of Babel. And they have the 12 signs of the zodiac, different from ours, but still 12 signs. Why 12? 12 is the number of God's people. There's 12 months in a year. 144,000, you know, the symbol of 12 times 12 times 10 cubed uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, just all kinds of stuff like that. But the Chinese have at least 5,000 words written like this that you need to know to be able to speak and write Mandarin Chinese. Um, a little bit off, but I wanted to just point out that the truth of the Bible goes way, way back to the ancient Chinese language. And they have archives that go to 2400 B.C. They have a record of the star that's mentioned in Matthew of the birth of Christ. It's a comet, and it travels through space, and they mark it for 70 days in China. And the farther it goes, the more its tail goes up. You know, have you ever seen a comet? Yeah, you remember maybe uh, Hale Bop? I saw it. I got to see it every weekend. It had moved a few degrees in the sky every weekend. I could see it, see its tail clear as bell out in West Texas. Couldn't see it in Dallas, but in West Texas there's nothing, and I could see it. And I went out there every week for six or eight weeks, preached for Jim Hester out in Crane. Crane, Texas used to be a big boom town for the oil business. But anyway, uh, this comet went like this while the Chinese were watching. Then the Persians, the wise men, they picked it up and they kept a record. And it went on across. And when it finally got to Bethlehem and Jerusalem area, that's they're two miles apart, it was like a finger pointing down to that stable, to that place where Jesus was born. Uh, God's miracles start with the heavens. The heavens always have a sign, or the heavens have something, even if we don't see it, something metaphysical, something spiritual behind everything that happens on earth. 
Psalm 19, that's right. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky shows His handiwork. Day to day, utter speech. Night to night declares knowledge. There's no speech and there are no words, but their voice goes out through all the earth. You know, everybody gets to see the balance of the heavens. And when the ancient people saw odd things happen in heaven, they knew something was big on earth. I don't know how those wise men knew that that star, that comet pointing down there, that they followed for many days. don't know how they knew for sure that was a king, but I think it might have been from the prophecy of Balaam, who prophesied that a star will rise out of Jacob, and the ruler's staff will be between his feet. Now, that was his prophecy. Balaam was a con man, but he was a true prophet of God. He was a He wanted money. He went and asked God, can I go prophesy against Israel? He's up in Babylon. And God said, no. He said, okay. He went back and told the people, no. And they said, but look how much money we've got here for you. Oh, let me see what else God has to say. See, the prophets were weird. They were people just like us. And he wanted the money. And they said, we'll pay you this much if you'll go curse Israel. God said, okay, you go, but you can say only what I tell you to say. So he's in anger, and he's riding back, and this, you know the story, his, the donkey uh, banged him against the wall, banged his foot and ankle against the wall, and he yelled at the donkey, and then pretty soon the donkey just lay down in front of, uh, under him. And he got off and started beating the donkey, and the donkey turned around and said, why are you beating me? Can you imagine? And he's so mad, he doesn't even think this donkey's talking to me. He said, because you lived, you know. And the donkey said, uh, have I done this to you before? And he stopped and said, no. He said, well, open your eyes. And he opened his eyes, and here's the angel of the Lord standing there with a drawn sword ready to hack him. Cut his head off. And he apologized to the donkey, and then he apologized to the Lord got back on the donkey, and the Lord let him go. But he said, make sure. Yeah, the donkey should have kicked him. He said, uh, you make sure you say only what I tell you to say. So he got up on a cliff to curse Israel, opened his mouth, and blessed Israel. Happened four times. Each time he tried to curse, and each time he blessed. And Balak, the king of Moab that hired him, was so angry at him. But the fourth oracle, if you remember the numbers I gave you a long time ago, the number four is universal. The fourth oracle is the one that predicts a star from Jacob, and the ruler's staff will be with him. So the prophets are really strange people, really weird. Ezekiel, God said the people have stopped listening. He's up in Babylon. He was taken with Daniel in the first deportation in what year? 605 B.C., See, this guy is a walking encyclopedia. You need to ask him Bible questions. 605 B.C., the first deportation out of Jerusalem, the first time Nebuchadnezzar come down, broke the wall down, spanked them, took away all their good people. Daniel, Ezekiel, two prophets, taken up into Babylon. Daniel was young, so was Ezekiel. When Ezekiel turns 30, God calls him. I don't know what age Daniel was when God called him, but 
he was already committed to God before God ever called him. He was he was young. He was below the age of 30. But anyway, Ezekiel is told by God, they've stopped listening, so here's what I want you to do. Take a razor and cut all the hair off your face. All your hair. Beard, head, eyebrows, you know, everything. Cut it all off and put it in four separate piles. And then take a pinch of it and put it inside your wallet. So Ezekiel does that. The people come up and say, what are you doing? He says, here's what's going to happen to this pile of hair. He lights it on fire. <laughs> Protein burns really well. And then he said, and this pile here takes out his sword and bam, 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 you know, whacks it with the sword. And then the third pile he takes and throws it to the wind. And they said, well, what's it mean? He said, a third of the people in Jerusalem are going to burn with fire. A third of the people are going to be hacked to death by the sword. And the other third are going to be scattered among the nations. Well, what about that little pinch you put inside your... He said, that's the remnant that will be saved. Small group of people, see. The church is massive. The church today is growing at a rate faster than ever before in its history. In China, in India, in Africa, the church is exploding with growth. This is why you hear so much about Christians being killed. Remember the 19, 19 taken down to the, to the coast of uh, Tyre and Sidon recently, right next to the Mediterranean. 19 people, Christians, beheaded. The book of Revelation talks about the martyrs that were beheaded under the altar, under the blood, for protection. And they want God to avenge their death. He says, here's a white robe, wait a while. You know, God will do whatever he's going to do. So here we are, and looking at the prophets, all these weird people. Ezekiel was strange. You know, God showed him a little scroll. He says, eat this. And he ate it, and it tasted like honey in his mouth, like Psalm 19. Like the drippings from the honeycomb. The Word of God is so sweet to talk about. But when it hit my stomach, he said, it made my stomach hurt. Because the Word of God is hard to do. Easy to talk about. Tough to do. If that's for me, I'll call back. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. The Hebrew name Yoel, Joel. Yo, you might know, you might recognize as half of Yahweh. The name Yahweh, which is God's personal name, He gave Moses out of the bush. So Yo and Yah both mean the same thing. It means the Lord, Yahweh. And then Ale means God. So Yoel means Yahweh is God. Great name, Joel. Great name to give your kids. <clears throat> Joel's prophecy, like I said, was between about 800 and 750 B.C., the, the earliest of the writing prophets. And he says, The word of Yahweh which came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. They always give at least one generation 
of a prophet's family. And uh, Pethuel is his dad, and he was well enough known that his genealogy is not given all the way back. Some of the prophets get several genealogies, several names from that. But this was enough for Joel. He says, the word of Yahweh, <coughs> are you with me at the beginning of Joel? The word of Yahweh that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. In other words, whatever God reveals needs to be passed down. Most people today don't read the prophets. Let me recommend a book to you. Two books. One is by a guy named Mark Barrier. And the book, the book is sit, yeah, you heard about him. You don't, don't want me to read anything of his. The books are out there in that box and they're 15 bucks a piece and they cover the whole Old Testament. Uh, they're written for anybody to read. Uh, they're kind of a distillation of about 50 years of Bible study. A lot of the Hebrew text and the Greek text. I've got one on Old Testament, one on New Testament, and I just finished a commentary on Genesis 1 through 11. I'm so excited. I've got a little more I've got to add to it now because I've got some new stuff I found. But basically, Genesis 1 through 11. And if you want that, it'll take a while, probably another couple months before it's published. My publisher has already sent me a contract to sign, so. If I can get that out. So I've got three now. One is Old Testament, the Bible for busy people. New Testament, the Bible for busy people. And Genesis 1 through 11. Maybe you can help me find a good title for that. In the very beginning. You know, I don't know. When, when baseball was invented. In the big inning. Uh, no, that's not, that's not a good one. Speaking of puns. So, pass on the word that Joel's going to talk about. What's he going to talk about? Verse 4 is what he's talking about. What the chewing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust has left, the consuming locust has eaten. Now, the last one actually means a lapper. He's lapping up the very last part of whatever was left by the other the other uh, locusts. Now, we don't know for sure what these words mean, chewing, swarming, crawling, lapping, because they're not used very often. But there are four different kinds of locusts. He's just saying that the, there's a universal plague here, four, universal, world number, north, south, east, west. You know, everything is covered by four. Four different kinds of locusts. You know what a locust is? About that long. Uh, I've eaten them. Uh, when I was in Israel, they're grasshoppers. And uh, they roast them. Uh, this is what John the Baptist ate. Locusts and wild honey. Uh, just stuff off the land, natural stuff. About this size... Uh, I ate probably six of them, and they were so good, I went back and got some more. 
and they're crunchy on the outside and soft and chewy on the inside. <laughs> the women are going, <laughs> making faces. Uh, yeah, no, everybody thinks they taste like chicken, but they taste like nuts. They taste like maybe walnuts or, or pecans. They're very good. They're high protein. You know, most of the world eats insects. Um, insects are high protein. And they're going to be, they're already making meat now in America out of insects. You read that? They're also making meat out of nothing. I mean, they're just producing meat. They can make beef tasting meat and they can make chicken tasting meat. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> June bugs. Uh, anyway, grasshoppers are what locusts are and they're great big ones. And when there's a plague of them, their faces and mouths are bigger than their bodies. I mean, we're talking, have you ever seen a, an overstocked pond? And, and the bass in that pond, the bass will be this long and their faces will be this wide because they're, well, they're hungry, they're wanting to eat. And that's the way these things are. And they have eaten everything in Israel. Now, when was the first locust plague we learned about? Egypt. A plague as a judgment on an evil people. Now, Israel had to suffer the first three plagues. The blood, the water, they had to go out and dig for water. Uh, the, the frogs, Israel suffered with Egypt. Uh, the maggots, Israel suffered with Egypt. But when the flies came, see the logical order there of those plagues? When the flies came, the fourth plague, Egypt was spared. I mean, Israel was spared. And from then on, all the plagues were just on Egypt. You go to the book of Revelation, you see the same thing. God's people have to put up with the three first three plagues. And then the next four plagues are just on people who don't have the mark of God on their foreheads. You know how they get the mark of God on their forehead? Ezekiel 9 has the mark of God on their forehead. The mark is written like that. That's the word for mark back in uh, Ezekiel in the 6th chapter B.C. That's the Hebrew letter, Tov, the mark that was put on their foreheads. How do we get our mark on our foreheads? When you're baptized, the last thing to go underwater, the forehead. You're sealed at that point. And Paul uses that in Ephesians 1. He says we're sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. The guarantee of our inheritance. See, if you've been baptized, you've got a promise that goes with that. You've been sealed. And Revelation says, He who has undergone the first resurrection has nothing to fear from the second death, which is the lake of fire. We don't find that out until the end of the book. But the lake of fire is the second death. So hell, the three words that describe hell, perish, destruction, and the second death. Doesn't sound like people are kept alive forever and ever, does it? See, if you're kept alive forever and ever, it's because you're a believer. Believers get eternal life. Unbelievers don't. My, you know, barrier theology 101 on hell. I've written an article about it. If you want to read it, I'll send it to you. 
one of my students said, you may not go to hell for your view, but you will catch hell for it. And I ha- and, and he was right. <laughs> he was right, I have. Um, but uh, it's, it's my view. It's what I think the te- Scripture teaches. I thought I was the only one until I ran across some other people that believe the same thing. A guy named Clark Pinnock wrote a book about it. Another guy named Edward Fudge, who is a lawyer turned uh, theologian, lived down in Houston. He's dead now, but he wrote a book about that thick entitled The Fire That Consumes, and he looked at every passage in the Bible about uh, punishment. And he says, in every case, God's punishment is exactly equal to what the person deserves. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Blow for blow, stripe for stripe, life for life. Seven equals seven. Exact equality between the crime and the punishment. Twenty-two times, I'm preaching, twenty-two times the Bible says each person will be repaid according to his deeds. That doesn't sound like you're kept alive forever and ever, does it? To be punished? You won't be anyway, because we're not going there. The revelation of hell. Write that down for me, honey. Wow. Was the first section of hell marriage? No, I just just kidding. <laughs> mm. No, you say it's the bottom <laughs> section. No, my wife <laughs> didn't give me a hard time this morning. Oh, wow. Joel. Okay, Joel's main teaching is about a locust plague, but he has the day of the Lord in there. Thank you, Corey. Remember, when it's capitalized all the way through, that's God's personal name. Sometimes it's written like this. The word God is capitalized all the way through. This is still the same as this. Yahweh, God's personal name. Probably pronounced like that. This word is Adonai, the human figure of God. Psalm 110.1 The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. See, obviously, that's the Father speaking to the Son. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. And four verses later, he says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Talking about Jesus very clearly. Jesus uses Psalm 110, verse 1, in Matthew 22:44 and context. And he asked the Pharisees who have been questioning him all week, trying to trap him. He just turned them every way but loosed. And then he turned around and asked them, whose son is the Messiah? And they said, why, everybody knows he's David's son. Oh, how is it then that David, speaking in the Spirit, calls him Lord? Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And he quotes that scripture to him. 
And it says, after that, no one ask him any questions. I call that the question to end all questions. See, he is before David, but he's also after David. John the Baptist understood it. A true prophet, another prophet. He didn't even write a book. He only prophesied for about six months. But he said, he who comes after me is really before me because he was before me. Even though he's younger than I am, he's vastly older than I am. He's the Ancient of Days, though his father's the one who's called the Ancient of Days. And he's the Son of Man who came up to his father. So, here we are. You drunkards wail because all the wine's going to be taken away from you because these locusts ate everything. He goes on and says, Levent, Lament, verse 8, like a virgin clothed in sackcloth for the husband of your youth. You know, your husband's going to die. Uh, your husband has died, and now you've got to look back on this. It's just, it's tragedy. Wail, you vine dressers, you have no job anymore because these locusts have eaten everything. Gird yourselves, you priests who minister at the altar. You're not going to have any sacrifices because these locusts have eaten everything. And he goes on and on, and finally when you get to the second chapter, he predicts, what is quoted at the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass afterwards, in the latter days, it says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Ladies, you can preach. You can prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Also on my men servants and maid servants I'll pour out. Even the slaves get the Holy Spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and vapor, pillars of smoke. What's he talking about? Remember the day of Pentecost is when Peter quotes this, and they've offered hundreds and thousands of sacrifices. And there's blood and gore everywhere. And they're burning the sacrifices on the altar, and the smoke is going up. That's what he's talking about. Wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. You know, the smoke's so dense that you can't see the sun. The moon will be turned to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. Here's the second day of the Lord. The first day of the Lord. Number one is the locust plague. The second day of the Lord is, uh, I didn't talk about it, but it's an invading army. He's looking at the uh, locusts and he says there's going to be an army just like it come and invade Israel. The third question? Oh, scratching your head? Oh. Uh, so the invading army is coming. The third day of the Lord is Pentecost. The beginning of the church. Guess what the fourth day of the Lord is? See, everything's in four. It's a universal number. The fourth day of the Lord. 
Judgment Day. The Bible teaches that everybody knows there will be a day of judgment. Even those who've never heard the message know that they're under the judgment of God. Everybody knows. Even atheists who deny God, you know, they wouldn't work so hard at denying God if he didn't exist. They'd just say, he doesn't exist, and that's the end of it. But because they know he does inside, they know they're going to be judged. Uh, I'd hate to be Madeline Murray O'Hare on the Day of Judgment. Can you imagine? God said, I gave my word to you. You never looked at it. Are we out of time? Okay, that's, that's the essence of the book of Joel. There's so much to learn about these prophets. But if you read Joel, you'll see the locusts, just like in Egypt, were a judgment from God. And guess what? The book of Revelation talks about locusts. Completely different. A judgment from God, though. Let's pray. Father, we have so much to learn. I pray that you will open the Word up to us over the next few days and help us to know that you have spoken and that one day we will beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and war will end. And we'll go home to be with you. And we long for that day. Maran Atha. Come, our Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.